It is a phrase that many Americans know and hold very dear. It is at the core of, of who we are as Americans, at, at the core of, of the essence of being free. It's the most well-known phrase in that document that declared we are independent from sovereign foreign rule. It's the line that talks about how certain inalienable rights have been bestowed on us by the Creator. And that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think in today's modern America, it seems like maybe we don't pay as much attention to those first two, but boy, a lot of Americans have really gone all in on that third one, haven't they? The pursuit of happiness boy, let's do that. And we see it in the culture around us, right? Moral relativism, um, the willingness and to buy into the idea that if I just get this new thing, this better thing, this nicer thing, this bigger thing, that I'll be happy. That I'm willing to sacrifice and, and enjoy very short-term pleasure, even if it means really long-term discomfort or pain or difficulty. Those are symptoms of a culture and people that have, have gone all in, are, are hyper-focused on this personal idea of happiness. The trouble with happiness, though, is that happy is a fleeting feeling. We know this, right? Because you can be happy really easily. It doesn't take a whole lot, right? You go to the, you go to the store, you, you get an alert on your phone that this thing that you've been looking at, that you've been wanting to buy, there's a sale. There's a deal. It's Prime Day tomorrow. Woohoo! Right? Happy! Or you go shopping and, or you go to work and you pull into the parking lot and prime parking. It's going to be a good day. It doesn't take a lot to make us happy, does it? And the flip side is true, right? When you're heading to work or heading to an appointment and all of a sudden there's construction? I didn't know about this. There's an accident? Well, it doesn't matter that your day just got totally ruined. Mine is worse because I'm going to be three minutes late, right? It doesn't take a whole lot for us to be unhappy. We're, we're very fickle and, and fleeting in this, this idea of happiness. And while these these are real things. They're kind of silly in how much they impact our happiness. God wants us to be happy. There are some preachers that that's their whole message. But it's, it's true. God does want us to be happy. He, he uses a different term for it, doesn't he? He calls it blessed. Because that's what the word blessed, blessed, means. Happy. And God talks about that repeatedly throughout Scripture, how he wants us to be happy. Jesus gives us a recipe for it in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to take a, glimpse, a look at, at some of those pieces of what God wants for us to be happy. Not from the Sermon on the Mount, but from Ephesians 4 and 5. Now one thing to note is that when God gives a recipe, gives his prescription for happiness, you'll probably find that it's a little different than what immediately pops into our mind when we think about what would it take for me to be happy right now? 
God's description, God's recipe is different because God's description is for a, a truly happy life, but not just the usual happiness that the world experiences and then is gone. God wants you and he wants me to have this true and lasting happiness, blessed life, this life that is unusually happy. Let's take a look at the verses from Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. We'll pause right there for a second and What did you hear as you read this recipe that God gives for happiness? I imagine that that if you shared this with a a non-church-going person, even a non-Christian, they would hear a lot of don'ts. Don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this. God's such a killjoy, right? Don't don't get angry. Really? Really? That's kind of silly, isn't it? But, but this is a, a, a real thing that, that people really have trouble with. A bunch of do's, a bunch of don'ts. Who are you? Who is even the guy writing this? Who is even the, the person that those came from? God himself. Who is he to tell me what I can or can't do? What, what will or won't make me happy? This is all about, it's all about me. Because happiness is, is terribly subjective, isn't it? That's what we think. Happiness is all about me and what I want. And so the world hears this and says, don't listen to that guy. If you want to be loud, be loud. If you want to be quiet, be quiet. If you want to be obnoxious, you go right ahead. If you want to say whatever word pops into your mouth, who cares who it hurts? It's all about you. You do you. It's the world world today summed up in a phrase, isn't it? You do you, me do me. The problem is, it's not really God's recipe. And here's the, really the struggle with it. It's our, our first takeaway this morning that for sinners, there's nothing more important to the pursuit of happiness than serving self. Me, 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 you, you, you. That's what it's all about, Right? That's what the pursuit of happiness is all about, pursuit of my happiness. We've reinterpreted that, that declaration of independence so that it's all about me. And the problem, though, really is not, is not the reinterpretation of the word self. It's who's the sinner. Because if that's really true for sinners, well, it's not just about, you know, sinners out in the world. It's about sinners right here. See, this is the, the same document, the same letter that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that includes this section earlier in Ephesians 2 that talks about how all people are born into this world. And yeah, we're physically breathing, our hearts are beating, but spiritually, dead. Dead on arrival. Dead in sin. And after that, then, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 goes on to write, But God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, in sin, it is by grace you have been saved. In spite of our selfish attitudes and actions, in spite of our our unloving attitudes towards everyone else, God saved us. In spite of who we are by nature, God saved us. In spite of not deserving a single thing from him, God saved us. God saved us because he is rich in mercy, because of his undeserved love, his grace. And then just verses after this, he goes on to write these words. Maybe you've heard them before. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. See, right there, God summed up who, who this is for, right? This is for you. This is for me. This is for, for sinners who need life. This is for sinners who are born into this world dead, but made alive in Christ. And what has God done for those sinners? What has God done for us? He makes us spiritually alive. He forgives our sins all out of his undeserved love. And in the very next verse, he goes on to talk about how God lives in you and has planned out and and gives you the ability to live a life that serves him, that reflects his grace in your life, in what you think and say and do. God is the one who enables you to do that. And the beauty is then, God wants us to do that, to not just just go, okay, well, I know it, but to live a life that's different because we're not dead in sin anymore. We know what it is to be alive because we are. And he wants us then in that life, spiritual life, to live a life that is unusual. The first piece of the puzzle that that he described in those uh, verses from Ephesians 4 is part of our, our second takeaway, that God wants me to mind my mouth. Literally, use your mind before your mouth. Engage brain before you open mouth, right? And I I love the way the Apostle Paul wrote it. Because he didn't just say, don't say this and don't do that and don't talk like this and and don't, don't let your words come anywhere close to this. He said, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Not any. But he doesn't just say what not to do. He goes on to say, instead... Only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. How beautiful is that? In a world where words are are used to hurt and to destroy, God says, no, no, no. You're different. You're unusual. Use them to build up. Use them to encourage. Use them to to lift up and, and send out. Instead of using your words to tear someone else down, use them to to lift up. And then to be happy, Paul broadens it, doesn't he? He doesn't just say to mind your mouth. He he talks then about really our whole attitudes. And that's the next one, that God wants me to mind my mouth and to assess my attitude. Because he doesn't want them to just be the usual. He wants them to be unusual. 
you might think, you know what, though, I don't, I don't really struggle with the, you know, the rage and anger. I don't really have an issue with the, the brawling. Certainly not the, the fisticuffs brawling, although the word he uses in the original Greek is not about fighting with your fists, it's about fighting with your tongues. I don't really struggle with that. Maybe that's, maybe that's the words that are running through your mind or in your heart right now. Yeah, you know, I, that's not really me. So I want, I want you all to close your eyes for just a second. And I want you to picture in your mind the person you wish God would do something bad to. Too easy, isn't it? The person who's hurt you. The person you resent because they just make my life difficult. The person that I despise because life is easy for them. Life is just good and I struggle. You can open your eyes. It wasn't hard to think of someone, was it? There's a problem with that. Because that ability and the ease with which we're able to do that is the opposite of the attitude God wants Christians to have. It's the opposite of, of grace. Because grace is, is undeserved love. It's forgiving. It's letting go. It's putting in the past. And what are we doing? The reason we're able to call that person to mind, or maybe a bunch of persons, and to do it so quickly and so easily is because we haven't forgiven. We haven't let go. Instead, we're holding on to the hurt. We're holding on to what happened. And it makes us bitter. Maybe you don't think, I'm not a bitter person. But the fact that you can think of someone that you wish would get a taste of their own medicine that quickly, well, that's what God would call it. And you can try to call it something else. You can try to brush it off or pretend like it's not real, but God knows your heart and mine. And here's the deal. He wants us to realize how dangerous bitterness is. Because bitterness is a root. And what grows out of that root when it sits planted in our heart are the very things that he describes. Rage, anger, brawling, fighting with our words, looking to be combative, argumentative, hurtful, slander, every form of malice. Literally, the word there is every form of, of bad, every form of wickedness, of evil, of, of trying to do something that's, that hurts someone else. You know what really is the issue? The usual way of dealing with that, of saying, ooh, you got something in there. The usual way that the world looks at that and says, yeah, but that's okay. Because you know what? They hurt me. So I deserve to hurt them back. In fact, maybe we even try to legitimize it and rationalize it so far that we go, you know what? I bet God wants me to teach them a lesson. It's that way of thinking then that Paul is describing when he talks about do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's a verse that, a phrase that I've heard used and I, I think is probably one of the more misunderstood phrases in Scripture. What does that mean? Let me, let me paint you a picture to help you understand. Imagine you are 15 years old and you're at Grandma's house. And around the table are all of your cousins and aunts and uncles and the whole family and grandma too. And after dinner is great, great dinner. 
always fun to have the whole family together. And after dinner, everybody's kind of hanging around, and your cousin just gets under your skin. And you end up in a fight. And you lose your temper, and you get so ticked off that you yell out a couple of colorful names. And your cousin responds by yelling, Oh, yeah! Well, at least I didn't! And then blabs a dirty secret that you had told them in confidence. And all of a sudden, you realize everybody's looking at you. And grandma and mom and dad and cousins and aunts and uncles, everybody just heard not only, not only what you said, but what you had done. We would never want to do that to grandma, would we? We wouldn't want to cause her that, that kind of pain and sadness. Certainly wouldn't want to do that on purpose. Because we love grandma. Why are we okay with it then when it's God? God's called us to be his child. He's made us his children, this amazing gift. And yet we are okay with the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we say, yeah, you know what? But I'm okay with the Holy Spirit hearing the, the ugly that comes out of my mouth. I'm okay with letting bitterness live right in there with God. God says, that's not okay. No, 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 no. Don't let it be a, a bitterness thing. Because here's the deal. It's our, our third takeaway that the Holy Spirit doesn't live in my heart because otherwise he'd be homeless. It isn't just that he needed a place to stay for a little while. The Holy Spirit lives in you because you are his child. And he lives in you to guide and strengthen your faith. But here's the problem that sin grieves God, and not just God the Father, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who lives in you. And anytime you show a lack of love for someone, it hurts them, doesn't it? It causes them pain. Someone who loves you, it makes them sad. It grieves them. And sin is ultimately just a lack of love for God, for his commands. And when we sin, and especially when we let it fester, when we hold on to it, when we won't let it go, man, does that grieve the Holy Spirit. Because you see, God wants us to get rid of all of this junk, all this garbage, right? Brawling and slander and anger and rage and bitterness. All of it, get rid of it. All the, the unwholesome talk, get rid of it. It's not going to make you happy. It's a lie that the devil tells that you think that's going to make life somehow better. God says, no, 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 no. That might be what the usual, the, the usual in the world, but God, God wants us to be unusual, and he wants us to be unusually happy. And so he's got a, a better way. And not just, not just get rid of everything, but here's what he says. Instead, in its place of bitterness and anger and all those other things, instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You want to be happy? Here's the recipe. 
God wants us to follow him. Literally, he says, follow God. Imitate him is literally the Greek in it, right? Imitate God. I, I think it's probably then pretty simple to understand what the, the primary thing of God that we're imitating is, right? He talks about it there. It's the, the thing that God makes clear throughout all of his word. And it's the fourth t- takeaway this morning, that God wants love to drive my life. What was it that drove Jesus? That drove him to leave heaven and come here? What was it that drove him to give himself? You ever thought about how fully Jesus surrendered, gave himself up for us? Take just, just a few hours of his life to see, right? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he said, and Lord, I know what's coming, and I know it's going to be awful. It's hell itself. I'd really like there to be a different way, but not my will. He surrendered himself to God's will for you and for me, and then he surrendered himself to his captors and the ropes and chains that they bound him with. And then he surrendered himself to their mocking and their beating. And then he surrendered his life for us. He was the sacrifice. The sacrifice that gives us any kind of hope for happiness in life. And the certainty of happiness for eternity. Because Jesus took our sin and paid for it all. See, that's really the, the unusual kind of love that God wants us to imitate. It's a love that doesn't think first of self, but thinks first of others. That's willing to do for others, no matter the circumstances. And perhaps the most difficult way for humans to do that is a piece of our fifth takeaway, our last takeaway this morning. To be truly blessed or unusually happy means to be forgiven and to forgive. First piece of that is done, right? That's what Jesus did on the cross. And that's what we, we know. That's why we're here. That's why we rejoice every day in the goodness and grace of God because he has taken away all of my guilt, all of the things that I've done wrong, and he paid for them all. And now, because of that, we don't have to live the usual life because we're not burdened by the guilt that we're trying to outrun. We're not, we're not feeling the, the, the weight of shame all around us, holding us in. No, we are free to be unusual. And because God has forgiven us, he also then wants us, commands us, tells us to forgive. It's the opposite, though, of what, what you hear around you, and, and certainly what we see, and even what we know, what we want inside of us, that part of us that's still sinful by nature. Man, the world, our sinful nature, what do they say? Somebody hurts you, you hold on to that, because that's power, right? That gives you one up over them. You can hold on to that, and someday you can crush them with it. Is that going to make you happy? The world says, yeah, it will. 
But how do you feel if you've ever done that? Not so great, right? Because it's a lie that the devil tells. God wants us to do the exact opposite. To be unusual when someone hurts us. To not hold on to and let it fester and use it against them, but to forgive. And not just to forgive, but did you notice the example he holds up for us? To remind us, hey, forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive as Christ forgives you. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder. Because when we stop and think of, of what we have been forgiven, all of our sins, all of them, big, little, unknown to everyone else, posted out there for everyone to see, doesn't matter, all of them are forgiven by God. And how he did that? Well, he did it by giving his own life. And why he did it? Because he loves you. He loves you more than you can ever know. When we stop and ponder how great and amazing and wonderful and massive and deep is the love of God for me, for you, and how much I've been forgiven... Boy, forgiveness is a lot easier, isn't it? For me to give what God has given me in overwhelming abundance. For me to, to let go and to forgive so that I have peace. Peace with my God and peace with that other person. See, that's the actual secret to happiness. You've been forgiven. Forgive. Because when you forgive, you are free. You have peace. You have peace from God. It, it may not make everything all great in the relationship. That's not what God promises. But he does promise peace. He does promise peace in your heart. And ultimately, that is the happiness God wants us to have. To know that I am a child of God and so are you. And we have been forgiven and we have heaven that we look forward to and until we're there, God wants us to live like him and for him. Following in his example and letting his gift of good, goodness and grace and forgiveness overwhelm our soul, flow from our lips, and be seen in our lives. Because that's the, that's the key to unusual happiness. God bless your efforts, dear Christians, in fighting that good fight, in getting rid of the junk, in filling up with God's goodness and grace, in knowing how much you've been forgiven, and then forgiving. Amen. May the peace of our God, which goes beyond our human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.